Um, some of you are, who are older will remember this man. Uh, how many of you remember Rich Little? Does anybody here remember Rich Little? A few hands go up. Um, Rich Little, for those of you who are younger than whatever, um, uh, Rich Little was an impersonator. And he would impersonate like all sorts of stars. And, and in my opinion, he's probably one of the best I've ever seen. I mean, he could get people's uh, mannerisms down, not only their voices, but their mannerisms and, and who they were. He could just nail it. Uh, you should go online and look at some of his, his uh, work. And some of them, you won't, like, if, especially if you're younger, you don't really know who he's impersonating. But, like, if, some, if he, you know, if you turn it on and he goes, well, hello there, Pilgrim, you know exactly who he's impersonating, okay? Um, and, and he was really good. He, you know, you talk about presidents, he did, you know, Richard Nixon and, and he could do Johnny Carson so well with Johnny Carson's little, you know, kind of the way he did things and the way he moved. I mean, he was so good. And I love great impersonators. I just, I've always enjoyed that craft. You could look at Robin Williams. You could look at Dana Carvey, Jim Carrey. Uh, Tina Fey, Jimmy Fallon. Um, it, what's interesting to me about those particular impersonatings is that um, you know they make that person that they're sort of impersonating a little bit even larger than life. And uh, it's so funny. I mean, I love people. And so <laughs> I like to people watch. And so when you see someone do that and they could impersonate another person, it's just amazing that they kind of pick out their you know, their individualism, their voice, their inflections, their movements, it's just wonderful to watch that and to laugh, you know. Um, like presidential impersonators, you know, I always loved the guys that did Ronald Reagan because, you know, he was just like, well, you know, he always did that sort of thing and people would pick it up. And I actually enjoyed during the Clinton years, the Clinton ones, because Clinton just said some of the funniest things, you know, it's like, well, I've worked harder. I've ever worked before in my life. And then he would bite his lip, you know, he'd go like that. Oh, it's just so funny to watch that. Because he would just do that in real life, and the impersonators would pick that up. It's still going on today. But as we look at that in a different way, and you'll have to think about this just for a moment, we're all impersonators. I want you to think about that just for a minute. Why is that? Because we're imitators. We imitate friends, uh, we imitate heroes. Um, for younger kids, we, we may imitate our favorite basketball player since it's March Madness, or maybe baseball player because baseball started this week. We are imitators. We may like to imitate our favorite musicians. Um, you know, for you guys who were uh, on the retreat, I talked about reading a book about Bruce Springsteen. All through the book, he talks about people that, uh, uh, you know, really inspired him. And he says, well, this song here kind of goes along this genre here with this guy. And so he's impersonating a little bit of the mu music that he's picking up from other people. For those of us who are older, maybe you found yourself repeating phrases that your parents said growing up. Uh, maybe their mannerisms or characteristics come out of your mouth, uh, out of your behavior, and uh, suddenly you catch yourself sounding just like them. You said maybe at one point, I'll never be like that, but you are. It's just the way it is. Why is that? Well, I want you to just think about this for a minute, okay? 
We're made in the image of God. We're made to be imitators. And so today, as we look at our text, I want you to think about this. The real issue before us is realizing those who we choose to imitate is of utmost importance, isn't it? So let's open our Bibles to Philippians 2. We'll look at verses 19 through 30 as Paul directs our path on this crucial reality that we have before us. So let's look at the text. Philippians 2, 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by, your, by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust that the Lord, um, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also. Least I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. And honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is God's holy word. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for your word to us. I just ask that you would fill us with joy and comprehension and understanding as we study this morning. Lord, uh, cause us to really hear deeply to be moved, motivated by the gospel, by the power of the Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, again, here we are coming to this letter, and I've said this over and over again because I want you to just get the idea that you know we're, we're blessed to be able to peek into the mailbox of the Philippians and to look at this letter that he wrote. It's a letter of, of it's personal, it's loving, it's joyful, and it's interesting to see the mind of Paul as he writes it. If you were to take away the chapter headings and all the, you know, the verse labeling and just look at the text itself, you would see how it flows and how his thought goes. So after a greeting and thanksgiving and prayer beginning in Philippians 1, uh, 12 through 26, Paul gives us a personal or perhaps even if you'd call it a missionary update that is focused on the advancement of the gospel. So he, he breaks apart from the report in, in uh, 12 through 26 in verse 27 to begin to press on the original readers and us to live the Christian life. He urges us to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, to live in light of it and, and, and the grounding of it and in the power of it that the gospel may be the center and the force of our very lives. 
So he continues this theme in, uh, in saying in, in chapter 2, verse 5, you should have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. We remember, we've camped out there a lot over the last several weeks. You'll remember that from here, he gives a, a glorious description of how Jesus, in his humility, served his people. He set aside his own interest. He, he came in self-denial, and in self-giving love, humbled himself to obedience, even obedience to death on a cross. And thus, the Scripture says that he was exalted. He was lifted up. And so we see what, that, what Paul is doing here is he is exhorting the foundational realities of the Christian life that we may always, always, always turn our gaze back to the power and the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is pointing us to the necessity of growth in grace so that we would become mature disciples of Christ. And that we would live with one another in deep and wondrous fellowship together in a body uh, and humble, self-denying, self-giving service of one another in obedience to God. And so in the passage today, as he's going through this, he goes right back into, in verse 19, kind of into the reporting mode. So he's flowing this thought here. Look at Christ. Look at His glory. Look at what He did. Have that mindset in you. Okay, let me continue on with my, my report here to you. And so he goes back into the report mode. He speaks of these two fellow workers, Timothy and Epaphroditus, of his plans for them and his hope of being able to come to Philippi again. So who we have here in, in terms of this report are Timothy. First of all, you have Timothy. Remember who Timothy is. Timothy is seen a lot in the New Testament. He's the son of a Gentile father. His, his mother was Jewish, and he was raised by his mother, grandmother, in the Old Testament Scriptures. Um, he's from Lystria, and he was a convert of Paul on his first missionary journey. And eventually, he joined Paul on his mission. If you'll remember, back when we first started the series and we're reading in the book of Acts, Timothy was with Paul when he first went to Philippi. He was with him. We also have here... Epaphroditus, who, who was a messenger from the Philippian church, that he brought a gift to Paul. And, and as Paul was in prison at this point, from the, the writing of this letter, he's in prison. And in his service to Paul, he becomes seriously ill. You know, we don't know whether this is just on the way there. We don't know if it's, you know, he exerted himself in the, on the journey or maybe even serving Paul at Rome. We don't know. But here we have it. Here we have these men. And it would be tempting to think, after reading this section of Scripture, well, that's great, Paul. Thanks for that little travel log and that little uh, you know, report. And now let's move on to chapter 3 and get to some more meaty stuff that we've been looking at. But don't miss what's going on here. Don't miss it. His thought is so incredible here as he flows through this. He's not only letting them know the scoop of his plans to set their hearts and his heart at ease, but he's subtly pointing to the character and action of these two men. And he's saying this in a subtle way. Oh, by the way, this is exactly what it looks like for you to have your mind and attitude as Jesus Christ did. Do you see that in the text? Look at these men. 
Look at their lives before you. Marvel at the grace of God. So these, these, these uh, are, uh, men are a portrait to us for what it looks like to be godly men working out their salvation in fear trembling. That's what it is. Now think of it this way as well. They're ordinary Christians. Ordinary people just like you and me. You could be walking on the face of the earth during this time with these two men and you would think this is just like Jim. Jim back home. This guy's just like Jim. He's an or- these are ordinary people. Ordinary Christians who exemplify the character and the conduct of a gospel servant. So if we would look at the overall theme here, this is what I would say the theme of what our text is today and what we're looking at. It would be this. God's love in the gospel compels us to live lives worthy of that gospel. And He has given us to one another to model or imitate gospel living characteristics. Isn't that beautiful? He's given us one another that we would see. That's what it's like to follow Jesus. He has given us one another to look at and to say, they have, it's like I've got Jesus with skin on here. This guy's awesome. This is what he gives to us. And so what I want to look at today is is two characteristics that that we see coming from this text. And I I want us to focus on these characteristics and notice as we do that these, these weave together, if you will, in a spiritual symbiotic relationship. In other words, they're bound together by the love of the gospel. So you can't have really one without the other. In a true gospel sense. So we're going to look at two characteristics here. One of them is a gospel-focused life. A gospel-focused life. And a second one is a humble uh, servant heart for others. A humble servant heart for others. So that we can come, there's all sorts of things in this passage. The more I read, the more I was like, wow, what am I going to do with this sermon? There's so much here. It's incredible. So let's look at these two characteristics for us as we apply them to our, our lives. First of all, a gospel-focused life. Look at verse 21. He's speaking of Timothy here, and Paul says in verse 21, For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, and how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. What a special relationship between these two men. How incredible. A father-son relationship. And and I understand that because of the man who led me to Christ. Uh, For the longest time when I lived in North Carolina, I would see him often. Uh, He encouraged me. I I see that here. You know, when I talk about fathers, I always talk about my earthly father and my spiritual father who led me to Christ. It was my college roommate's dad, the, the first youth pastor I, I tied um, in a symbiotic relationship spiritually here. And that is a humble servant heart for others. So we have a gospel focus, and then we have a humble servant heart for others. So let's get a broad view here as we look back at the text. Let it speak to us. See what it's saying. Look at verse 20. What does he say? For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Notice how that flows into verse 21 that we've just talked about. For they all seek their own interest and not those of Jesus. Do you see how they're connected? 
gospel focus, heart for others, and some and, and a servant and a servant attitude that's humble. There was no one like Timothy. He outstripped all in service and devotion. And what is that service and devotion? A Christian displays his, his preeminent devotion to the Lord Jesus by seeking the true welfare of others. So what we see here is, is that one of the most important interests in our world to Jesus is His people. Think about that for a moment. That's so true. How do we know that? Because He came for us. He came for His people. So are we not still of most importance to Him? And most interest to Him? Let's see that further exemplified uh, with our friend Epaphroditus. Look in verse 25. Paul says this man was his brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. And you're a messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and near death. What does this say about this man? It builds. These words build upon one another here in the Greek. That the man was a share of spiritual life with Paul. So he's a brother in Christ. Not only that, but he is, he is a fellow worker with Paul. A participant with him in labors of the gospel. They worked out and through the gospel and their lives and in an outworking, outward position as well to others, they were fellow laborers, fellow workers together. And, and not only this, but even more, Paul says one more thing I want you to see. We're not only brothers, we're not only workers together, but we're soldiers. He is my fellow soldier. They shared in the dangers that were involved in standing firm for Christ and proclaiming the gospel. So you can't get away from it. Paul looks at life in, in terms of gospel as, as a war. He can't get away from it. And so when we look around at one another, do we see that with one another? That we're brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're fellow workers with the gospel, that we're soldiers when it comes to the gospel. Effort. Endurance, loyalty, all marked this man, Epaphroditus. He was the messenger that came from Philippi. And, the due, and he had been duly appointed and commissioned uh, to convey to the, uh, from the Philippians a gift to Paul. And in his zeal of doing this, in which he carries out this incredible task, he almost died. Paul is pointing this out. He almost died. Love him when he comes to you. Be joyous in him when he comes to you. Honor him when he comes to you. He is a man of faith. And he has served with me. That's what Paul is communicating here. Even here with Epaphroditus, do you see the interest of Jesus is his people? You know, Epaphroditus has come to love on Paul and take care of him. He has come to, 
you know, Timothy's there. Maybe love on Timothy as well. He has come to help extend the gospel out. A Christian displays his preeminent devotion to the Lord Jesus by seeing and seeking the true welfare of others. Now, don't again overlook the fact here that what we mean is, is that he cared about Jesus' people who were gathered in the covenant community, and he also cared about those who were yet to be found. He was like a shepherd seeking the sheep. And what is compelling us here is for us to consider that the care for our fellow believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, points to our devotion to the Lord Jesus. In other words, our devotion should not lead us to being further isolated. You see, that's where some of the, 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 the Catholic monks had it wrong, <laughs> you see. Now, not always, because sometimes they gather together in groups of people, but those, were, those who were strange that said, you know, we need to get closer to God, so we need to go in total isolation. They had it wrong. They misunderstood. They were looking for a mystical experience. And what I want you to see here is, is this is not a mystical experience. This is a get-together and rub elbows and serve with one another experience is what this is. And what Jesus is saying here to us through Paul is he's saying, that is what I want you to see. That is important. That you be in community together, loving on one another. That's how you show your devotion to Jesus. This is what the passage is saying to us. Our care to seek His sheep points to our devotion to the Lord Jesus. Gospel focus leads us to a servant heart for others. Now one of the things that could be going on here as we look at these men is where, you know, what I don't want you to hear me saying is this, because this is what happens all throughout the Old Testament as well, and it always makes me laugh, right? Be like David. And I always want to go, which David do you want me to be like? Do you want me to be the warrior king that's going to cut your head off if you say anything about God that, I don't, that, that is unglorifying to him? Do you want me to be the David that is an adulterer? Or do you want me to be the David that's out in the field playing my harp and worshiping the Lord? What David do you want? We're not called to be Davids. We're not called to be Samsons. We're not called to be Timothys or Epaphroditus's. We're not. We're called to be who God made us to be in Christ. But He does give us people that we emulate. One author that I was reading said this, and I thought this was a little quaint little saying from this commentator. He said, in the early church, they needed people to emulate. And I'm like, in the real church today, they, we need people to emulate. I don't think it's ended. So this week, I was, when I was studying, I came across a story. I read the story of an RUF campus minister named uh, Ben Robertson who is at, in Virginia. I, have to remember, I can't remember where, but he's in Virginia. And uh, he's been in RUF campus for many years. And he tells a story of a woman in his church that he grew up in, and her name was Miss Anders. And Miss Anders was crippled, and she had polio as a child. And she walked with a walker and orthopedic shoes all her life, and she never married. 
And Miss Anders, more interestingly, uh, actually lived her life most fully as an atheist. And then she converted to Christ, and get this, when she was in her 70s. In her 70s, okay? Now, you know, think about that. How in the world is a 70-year-old woman who just comes to Christ, how might she be gospel-centered and, and caring for the welfare of others? Well, Ben says that she just started loving on the kids in the church. He said that one time when he was five years old that she came up to him and said, you know, my nephew's coming to visit me and I want to take him out to eat, but I don't really know what I should do. What do you think I should do? He goes, take him to McDonald's and get him a hamburger. And she goes, okay, great. You know, she's never had a child. She doesn't know. She's been an atheist all her life. She probably hasn't not much knowledge of kids at all. You know, think about it. And so she takes the nephew to McDonald's. He loves it. It was great. She comes back the next Sunday and she hugs Ben. She says, thank you so much for doing that for me. That was so helpful. Thank you, young man. And then Ben says that he noticed after that that he began to get notes from her, like when his report cards would come due or, or you know, and she would hear through his parents that he did well. She'd send him a note, great job on what you did. Uh, if he scored a run in his little league baseball game, she'd send him a card. You did fantastic. Good job. You know, just everyday, normal life things. You know, science fair, whatever the case may be. He would get a note from her. And he was like, it was always so encouraging. But he said what was really incredible was her funeral. So there they are in their church, and it's standing room only. And the pastor stands up and he says these words. How many of you have ever received a card from Miss Anders? Every hand in the place went up. Every hand. What type of impact did she make? She made a huge difference in the lives of hundreds of people. My small and simple love and caring for others and devotion to Jesus. Isn't that really what it looks like? What was her interest? How did her devotion to the Lord manifest itself? Who did she imitate? Later on in chapter 3 of this book of Philippians, Paul says, brothers, join uh, in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And what he is saying is what he said to the Corinthians. Look, follow my example as I follow Christ. And this included not only himself, but it included who he's writing about here. Timothy and Ephroditus as well. These men, and we have to understand this, are not perfect. No one is perfect but Jesus. We need to understand that. Again, you're not Timothy. You're not called to be. You're not Ephroditus or Paul. You're not called to be. You are called to be all that you can be, all that you may be in Christ Jesus. We were created in the image of God. We are imitators of the maker of all creation. 
and to help one another along the path, He has given us a life of companionship in Christ, the need of one another's brothers and sisters and fellow workers and even soldiers that we may imitate one another as we imitate Him for His glory and our growth in grace and witness. So in conclusion, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember that the gospel is the good news that the promised Messiah deliverer Jesus has come. And this Jesus, he lived a life that was perfect. He lived a life that we have failed to live in obedience to the Father. And what he did then is he went to the grave, or he went to the cross. He went to the cross to die a death that we deserve, taking our place. And then the scripture tells us he rose again to restore life, all the life we forfeited because of our sin. So the question is, how do we respond to that great victory of Jesus? And let me tell you, it was a great victory because He came back from the dead and He is still alive. We respond in this way. The gospel which brings us the most passionate love, the deepest mercy, the most magnificent grace, the most undeserving forgiveness, the greatest transforming power creates the basis of unity and creates the qualities which the basis of which become the basis of our cause. Becomes the basis of our character. The gospel becomes the basis of our conduct, the basis of our community, that which we would emulate. So a Christian simply shows their devotion to Jesus by seeking the welfare of others through sacrificial gospel ministry as they focus on Christ. This happens in the everyday uh, matters of life. So here's what I'm saying is this. Find your life in Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works. But allow that gospel and the power of the Spirit to change and shape your life so that by example, you even, you brothers and sisters even, can give away your life to others. Simply because Christ loved you first. That's the gospel. That's what Paul is pointing us to here. So let us live this life together in encouraging ways. Let's pray.